As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. The first time Jody and I visited San Francisco, we went out to dinner. It was getting late. We had taken a couple cable cars in a taxi and got ourselves to the restaurant. We decided since we kind of had an appetizer and a main course and dessert, we're like, man, we got to walk home because, you know, we got to work some of this off. We need the exercise. So we start walking back. And again, we're unfamiliar with the city. It's the first time that we've been there. We're heading to the hotel. And all of a sudden, we're walking, we're walking. And the neighborhood, it just changes a bit, if you know what I mean. And I kid you not, out of nowhere, there was a bus that jumped up on the curb right in front of us. It stopped us in our tracks, and the door opened up, and there was an African-American older bus driver, and he just looked at both of us, and he said, get in this bus right now. So you know what I did? I grabbed my wife's hand, and I walked up those steps, and we got in that bus. And it was all dark, there was nobody there. We sat in the first row. It was out of service. And then he just looked at me, and he goes, do you know where you are? And I said, yes, I'm in San Francisco. (laughs) That wasn't the answer he was looking for. And he said, no, do you know what neighborhood you're in? And I go, no, this is the first time we're here. And then with compassion in his eyes, he just looked at both of us and he said, you can't be walking around in this neighborhood on this street at this time of day. And then he looked at us and he said, especially you two. And then he said, he goes, hey, hey, where's your hotel? And so we told him. And next thing I knew, he was driving us to the hotel. He pulled right up in front, front door service. Door opens up. We get off. And, and I, I'm embarrassed to say, I mean, we kind of thanked him, but I didn't thank him enough. And I'm reaching for my wallet and trying to give him something. And then he's gone, man. He vanishes in an instant. Jody and I were men and women of the Bible. We read Hebrews chapter 13, which says that angels will entertain you. You will entertain angels and that, and that you don't even know it. And so we looked at each other. We're like, I think that African-American bus driver was an angel. And so I don't know for sure if he was or not. All I know is this. He was our unsung hero that night. He was a guy that saw something we didn't see. He was a guy that saved us from some danger. He was a guy that took the time, even though he was off work, to see some people who were in need and decided, I'm gonna do everything I can to get them into a safe place. And for that, I'm grateful. Can we thank all those that take the extra mile, that do the extra thing, that help people in need, because they are the unsung heroes. Hey, go ahead and do this. If you're joining us online, if you're here in the house, we want to welcome High Point Korean to the service today. Can we praise God for them? Open your Bibles, Judges chapter, I keep saying Judges. 
This is the third time I've done this message, and I've done it. It's actually Exodus chapter 18. Open up to Exodus chapter 18. This, okay, this is, needs explanation. What happens is, like yesterday, I was preparing for a couple weeks ago. I was actually texting Pastor Craig, and I'm like, we need another unsung hero. I don't know who we're going to do. I'm looking through Judges diligently yesterday. And so we're not in Judges, although we may be there in a couple weeks, but we are in Exodus. And I want to introduce you to an unsung hero. He's only mentioned two times in the Bible, here in Exodus 18 and in Exodus chapter 2. In Exodus chapter 2, it gives us his middle name or possibly his last name, which means a friend of God. That's who he is to us. That's who that bus driver was to me. And so we want to take a look at this character, this unsung hero, and he's going to deposit some godly wisdom into us. His name is Jethro. Title of the message, you're going to love this. He's the savvy senior. That's who he is. And so he's, he's Moses' father-in-law. And what we're going to do is we're going to get five transcending truths about wisdom. We're going to learn it from this guy. Take a look with me. I'm going to read through. we got a lot of text. So I'm going to start at verse 5. Follow along with me. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. So Jethro has got his daughter, who's Moses' wife, couple sons, and he brings them back. They were staying with him. Verse 6, when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, are coming to you with your wife and two sons. There it is. And in verse 7, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and look what he did. He bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other about their welfare, and they went into the tent. Go ahead and skip down for a moment to verse 10. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now, I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. So Moses tells his father-in-law about what God did. And then in verse 12, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread. Verse 13, again, just skipping down. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw that he was doing, For the people, he said, what is it that you're doing for all the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire about God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his law. Verse 17, Moses said, father-in-law said, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for this is too heavy. You're not able to do it alone. He says in verse 18, 19, obey my voice. I'll give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes, the laws, and make them know the way in which they must walk and what must they do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy, who hate a bribe. Place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they can decide for themselves. So it'll be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you'll be able to endure, 
and all the people will go to their place in peace. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. Lord, for those of us who have believed that the Bible is the word of God and we've studied it, we want to apply it to our lives, may you deepen our faith as a result. Father, in a crowd this size and with people joining us online, for those who may not have been convinced yet of the Bible's truth, may this message be used to help them take a step forward that, Lord, this is your word to us in a day and age where you still speak. And so we want to learn wisdom from you. If you agree with that prayer, simply say amen. Amen. First, what we're calling transcending truth, because these truths, they transcend time, they transcend space, they transcend age and workplace. Take a look with me. First truth is this for the note takers. Godly wisdom respects the older generation. That's what godly wisdom does. It has respect for the older generation, for the generation that is ahead of them. Now, we don't know exactly why Moses, why he didn't go on the trip to see his father-in-law. Maybe it was spring break and he just said to his wife Zipporah, he said, honey, take the kids, take the two sons and you go spend it with them. Because as we read the text, he's got a lot going on. I mean, he is in charge of a lot of people. Over three million people are the people of God. And he's the one, as we can see, he's, he's overseeing it all. And we don't know exactly why he didn't go. All we know is that when the family came back, now it doesn't say much about how he greeted the kids and his wife, which I'm sure he did, but what it does tell us is that he greeted his father-in-law. And so take a look at exactly what he did. It says Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, he bowed down, he kissed him, and he asked him, how's it going? I have two sons-in-law. I texted him this verse, Exodus 18, seven. <laughs> or I should say, I'm going to text it again. And this is how we ought to treat the older generation. And so we ought to treat them with respect. And now in their culture, you know, this is a sign of acknowledgement and a sign of honor. That was part of their culture as they bowed and, and he gave them a kiss on the cheek but I wonder if you'd agree with me. In our culture, we have a tendency to not show respect to the older generation when they deserve it. Anybody with me? I mean, we do. Now, we have, I already said, we have High Point Korean joining us. We're so thankful. Can we praise the Lord for them? In their culture, I I think they have a different aspect. I met one of the pastors and one of the leaders, one of the guys in our church now who was a pastor. He's like in his 80s. There's a great respect in different cultures. But but in our culture, we we probably could show greater respect. I might even suggest to you that that we push them out too soon. That, That those senior citizens I mean, we push them out and we put them out to pasture before, while they still have some things they could offer to us. Agree? Amen. I mean, we push them out too soon unless they're running for president. <laughs> then we, we got to realize that this shelf life does expire. Anybody with me? I, God, Lord, help us come November. I, 
I know I'm going to get an email. Just please don't send it. But I'm just saying, like, you know, we want to treat the older generation with respect. And so 17% of our population is age 65 and older. That's over 58 million people. Statistics tell us that that number is going to double by 2050. The state of Florida, you think that's where all the old people are. They're not. They're actually in, over 65 is in California. That's where the most is. Florida's number two. Illinois is number six. And so we want to treat the older generation with respect. Let's do this in our service today. If you're 65 and older, can you please stand? Come on now, 65 and older, stand up and we're going we're to give you a praise. Yes. Awesome. That is fantastic. Thanks so much for being here. Awesome. You guys are great. The Bible says that gray hair is a crown of glory and, and they have a lot to give. Now, a couple weeks ago, my friend Brian Loritz was here. His dad is Crawford Loritz, who the pastor who, man, just so much wisdom. And Brian was talking to our men and he challenged them and he just said this statement and it shocked everybody. And he goes, there's too many old people in the church. And then everybody's like this. And then he said, there's not enough patriarchs. Do you know what he meant by that? There's just too many older generation that they aren't serving in that role of patriarchs in the church for whatever reason. I would add matriarchs too. Man, if you're 65 and older, we need your wisdom. We need your maturity. We need you to pour into this generation. And so I'm asking, Ben, step in if you haven't already, because your maturity is helpful to our church and to the godliness of our people. Second, what I'm calling transcendent truth, it's this. Godly wisdom acknowledges and believes in the creator of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Godly wisdom, it does. Now, Jethro, here, in verse 1, it says that he's the priest of Midian. And so the Midianites, they were descendants of Abraham. That means when they started, they knew the God of the one true God, the creator of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then the Midianites, what happened is they joined with the Moabites. And so the Moabites, they didn't worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They worshiped all these other false gods. We've actually seen that in this series. And so Jethro, at this moment, even though it says he's a priest, he may acknowledge a God, but he's not acknowledging the God the one true God, but something crazy happens. I mean, hold on to your hats, fasten your seatbelt. I mean, you're going to see him go from a hard heart to a soft heart to believing in God right here. We're the proverbial fly on the wall to see it. Let me show you a few verses. What Moses does is he starts by telling his pagan father-in-law, hey, God's been doing some awesome things. And that's a great evangelistic tool for you and I. Start with what the Lord is doing in your life. 
Start with what the Lord has done in the life of your family. Start with what the Lord is doing in your church. Hey, God was with me during the most difficult time. Start there. And then look what happens. It says in verse 9 that Jethro rejoiced. He's like, God did all that? And so we see him coming to a place of belief. And look at verse 10. It goes into this, and he says, he blesses the Lord. He says, blessed be the Lord. And so again, we're seeing something happen with Jethro. The scales are falling off. And then two more verses. Look at verse 11. He goes so far now, and there's no question at all. He's confirming his belief. He says, now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. He's looking forward, remember, to the cross. They don't have as much information, they didn't, as we have today. And they were looking for the Messiah, the one that was to come. We look backward at the cross because he came. And then look what happens next in verse 12. I mean, he comes to faith. He worships the one true God. And it says that Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices. Here we see him worshiping God. We see him believing in the one true God. I've shared our story many times, but let me cut to the chase. Jody and I, we were the first believers in our family. And so for nine years, we didn't see any movement with any of our family, our parents. And if you have that pain of somebody you're trying to share with, especially a family member that doesn't know the Lord and hasn't believed in him, then, then you know what I'm talking about. And I probably was guilty of maybe running too fast and not walking slowly and maybe putting up some, some walls when I should have built some bridges. But, but I remember sharing with my mom and dad and my mom and dad had, my mom had cancer. And so sometimes the circumstances of life, they ripen your heart to the gospel. And so whether that's something you didn't expect or or cancer, or a relationship, or whatever it is. And, and so I, I literally, I got a piece of paper out, and I sat down with my mom and dad, and I did the bridge illustration for them. Does anybody know what that is? And so the bridge illustration is like you, you put you on one side, I put these two little stick figures, and I said, mom and dad, that's you. And then you put like this big chasm, and then you write sin. And then you put God over here, and you say, that's the Lord. And this is you. And look at that big chasm because of sin. And then I said, the problem is that we try to build bridges. And I would draw a little bridge in to get to the other side. But the Bible says that, that for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not a result of work. So there's no bridge that you can build, whether it's giving to the church, whether it's you know, serving in the church. There's nothing you can do. Being a good person. And, 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 and then I, I drew the cross. And I said, the cross, Jesus provides the bridge for us to get to God. And, and then I asked, and sometimes we're guilty if we want to do a little evangelism training right now. Sometimes we don't ask for the order. And I said to my mom and dad, I said, what would prevent you right now from believing that Jesus is your Savior? And they looked at each other, nothing. And so I was able to pray for them. And my mom and dad came to Christ in their 70s. Jody's. Mom, yeah, let's praise the Lord. Jody's mom, she came to Christ in her 60s. And, and she read the book Left Behind, that whole series. Jody's dad, 
he, Jody wrote her a letter, wrote him a letter, and she included the book More Than a Carpenter. Have you ever heard of that book? It's a great little tool. You could even use it today, and it speaks about Jesus. He's more than a carpenter. And, and, and that book was found when Jody's dad died unexpectedly. They found it in amongst his most treasured belongings. Said all that to say this. It's never too late. My parents were in their 70s. Jody's parents were in their 60s. I mean, it is never too late to share the gospel. People will respond. Nobody is too far from the grace of God. Amen? Amen. I mean, there's nothing that that you have done that they will do. You're looking at that friend of yours, that family. You're like, they're never going to come. That's the person that God will bring. Godly wisdom. It shares the truth. Let's be a people. High Point Korean. Let's be a people. High Point Espanol. Let's be a people. High Point Russia. Let's be a people, high point English service that speaks the truth. We've been entrusted with the gospel. It is the power of God. That's what we want to do. Godly wisdom, it acknowledges and believes in the creator of the universe. Third, transcendent truth. Godly wisdom does this, and this is my favorite one. It sees what other people don't see. And so there's just a perspective whether you're looking at a relationship, whether you're looking into a business situation, whether you're looking into a family situation, whatever the situation, you just see things with a different lens. And there's an eternal focus. And so you see what others don't see when you're looking at the same situation. I love this story because it teaches me a lot. So next in the text, let's jump back in. Jethro becomes a follower of God, and then he's going to go back home, but he says to himself, hey, I think I'm going to stick around for another day or two and check on that son-in-law of mine. That's what he does. And so in the text, it says he stays an extra day. And, and what does he do? He wants to see what, what's Moses doing. I mean, I hear Moses is, you know, he's got all these things. He's responsible for all these people. I understand. And he's got so much responsibility. There's over 3 million people. I just want to see what he's doing. So when I visit my son-in-law in Pennsylvania, I don't tell him, but I just stick around an extra day. Because I want to kind of see what's happening around here and what's, what's the lay of the land. And I'm joking, but what does Moses do? He goes about his day. And he's seeing all these cases are being brought to him. I mean, he's what? He's the local court. He's the state court. He's the federal court. He's the court of appeals. He's the Supreme Court. Like everything is coming to him, man. He's got all this going on. And I love this. Look with me at the text. What does Moses' father-in-law say to him? He says, he says, what you're doing is not good. Like this is not sustainable. Like you can't keep doing all those things. He's probably thinking to himself, No wonder you didn't come over on spring break and spend time with me and the kids. Hey, no wonder you missed another baseball game of your son. Hey, no wonder you didn't go to that parent-teacher conference for another year. He's like, well, you got, like, like, you're just taxed to the max. What you're doing is not good. And then what he does is he drops on him, he drops on him a management structure for any organization. He drops a management structure for any court system. 
for any business, for any church. I mean, it's amazing. And catch this. It isn't in some leadership book. This is the Old Testament. We're in Exodus. I mean, these are where the leadership principles come from. All right here. Jethro, this, the father-in-law. I mean, it's amazing. So let's just start with the church. If Pastor Craig, who we're so thankful for Pastor Craig and his wife Camille, aren't we? We just love these guys. <laughs> Sitting in the front row here because I make them. And, but in all seriousness, Craig... If, if Craig is leading every Bible study, if Craig is doing all the teaching, if Craig is training all the leaders, if Craig is doing every hospital visit, if Craig is doing every wedding, if Craig is wiping every nose, what you're doing is not good. I mean, that's true of all of our pastors and our directors and the fine people we have on staff. Like, like that's not good for you. That's not good for Camille. That's not good for your boys. That's not good for your family. That's not good for your daughter. Like, what you are doing is not good. And maybe it's the same for you. That you have too much responsibility and everything is coming to you and you aren't delegating anything. Like, let me be the voice of reason. What you're doing is not good. Everything comes to you. Whether you're in education, whether you're in the business world, whether you're in an exempt organization, like you can't take it all. Let me give you quickly what I'm calling 11 signs of burnout. These, these aren't from me. I got these from a book that I read a few years ago. And it was by, it's by Carrie Newhoff. And so it's a warning to each of us that these are the signs that you may be heading for burnout. First one is this. We're going to go through these quickly. Your passion fades. It's just like I, I don't have a passion anymore for what I'm doing. I used to. Second thing is this, you no longer feel the highs and lows. Like you just don't. It's just like, you know, I, I, the, this great thing happens, I, I'm not excited. This other thing, this disappointment, I, I'm just mediocre. Number three, we're talking about burnout. That, that little things make you disproportionately emotional. Like you're just emotionally, it's just like, you know, it's like a little thing just, and, and either you're crying too much or you're too angry. I mean, you're, you're just you're disproportionately emotional for the little things that are happening. The fourth thing is this. Everybody drains you. Hey, maybe you're in here and you oversee a group of people in your business. Maybe it's a small business. Maybe it's a large business. And you got a couple people on your team, and they're underperformers. And, and you know, these people, they're not, they're not pulling their weight. And, and you know what? It, they, don't, they usually are the ones that drain you. They don't. Even the ones that are performing great drain you. Everybody does. And how about this? Number five, you're becoming cynical about your job, about your career, about the people you work with. And number six, nothing satisfies you. Like you've lost it. And number seven, helpful list. Number seven, you can't think straight. I mean, I've been in that place where there's so much coming at once and it's just like, I just got to get away. I can't think. And number eight, your productivity, it's just dropping and you used to be able to do so much and you, you can't understand why. Number nine, you're, you're self-medicating and so you start taking some things or doing some things that you wouldn't normally do and you, you fool yourself into thinking, well, you know what, I deserve this. And, and number 10, you, you don't laugh. 
I mean, you've lost your sense of humor. And number 11, sleep and time off, they no longer fuel you. Like, like you take a vacation, you take some extended time, and you come back, and it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Uh, we work with a lot of pastors. I work with a lot of pastors. And, you know, pastors go on sabbaticals, and I always warn. It's like, hey, if, if you're not dealing with the underlying issues, you can go on a sabbatical for a month. You can go for six weeks. You can go for eight weeks. And if you come back and you didn't really tackle and, and work through what was going on, man, that, you're going to be drained in six or seven weeks. You're going to be in the same place if you do nothing. And so these are the signs of burnout. Like, like take a self-check right now with whatever you do when you're not here. Are, are you burning out? Because the author of this, he says this. He says, hey, if you got one or two of these things, like, you're okay. It's, it's fine. You know, we all kind of go through that. But he says that if you got three or eight of them, if you look at three of these, you're like, yeah, I got four. I, I, five. I, I got seven of these. He's saying, be careful, man. You're in the danger zone. And if you got nine or 11 of these, if you're like, yes, 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 yes. It's like, like take a step back, man. You need some help and get some people around you. And, and what you're doing, Moses' father-in-law, let him speak to you. It's not good. Now in the church, in the church, we base our church off of this. Like we have a system and so Pastor Craig isn't responsible for everything. I'm not responsible for everything. That what? That we can't take care of every need in the church. And if we try, it's actually unbiblical. Because of this model, that's why we have elders. That's why we have shepherding elders and directional elders and deacons. We just brought on um, 50 deacons who are going through a process to become men and women at our church to provide authority, responsibility, and do ministry. That's why we've got volunteers and coaches and small groups. It's all right from here, Exodus chapter 18. But let me give you the New Testament verse. Ephesians chapter 4, it says it like this in verses 11 and 12. It says, and he, God gave apostles, and God gave prophets, and God gave evangelists, and God gave Pastor Craig, and God gave teachers, Pastor Ron, to do what? To equip the saints. That's our job. And I would suggest to you that if you come from a church background where the pastor did everything, he's actually hogging all the ministry. It isn't that we don't want to do it. It's that we want to equip the saints for the work of service. Who are the saints? Point to your neighbor and say, you're a saint. Now point to him and say, but you're not acting like one. I'm, I'm just joking. But, but we're the saints, those who know the truth, those who believe in the one true God, those who have placed their faith in Christ. Man, there's no special uh, ordination or there's no special vote. Oh, he's a saint, she's a saint, she's not. No, we're all saints, part of the priesthood of believer. And so our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And then how long? Well, for the building up of the body of Christ. And if you keep reading in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, until we all attain maturity in Christ, until we all look exactly like him, until, until we grow and mature, that's the role of the church. That's what we as pastors and leaders do. Understood? Yep. Pastor Kiwan, 
oh, right now with the size of the congregation, maybe he can take care of almost all the needs. But that's not healthy, and that's not sustainable. And I'm believing that God's going to grow the congregation. Amen? We're looking forward to Easter, where we're going to have a kickoff. And man, praise the Lord for his goodness and grace. But he can't do all the ministry. That's why we need others to help. Because our job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. More transcendent truth. Ready for the next one? This is a good one. Godly wisdom speaks when others are willing to listen. And so the older crowd knows this. The younger crowd, you got to learn this. So they know something we don't know. And and so they're not going to waste a breath with somebody who's hard-hearted, with somebody who doesn't want to hear, with somebody who's unteachable. And so they know what you and I don't know, that finish this phrase, when you lead a horse to water, you can't make them. You can't. And so we spend too much energy trying to force people and convince people and win the argument. And and that's why the Bible says, don't throw your pearls before swine. Like, 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 just take a step back, read the situation. Now, I know this is an argument from silence, but I think it's a good one. If we look back into the story, I bet you that if Moses would have looked at his father-in-law when he gave him this wisdom, and Moses would have rolled his eyes, if he would have gave out a grunt, come on. If he would have just said and started making some defense and become defensive, no, you don't understand, I need to be in this spot. I, I bet you Jethro would have just stepped back. But he didn't, because he sensed the receptivity. And so he gives him verse 21, and so now, This is a very important verse for us. If you're in the audience right now, if you're at home and you're trying to make it in your 20s in the business world, you're in your 30s, you want to get to that next spot, these are the people that your boss, your manager, the people who are running your organization, these are the people they are looking for. Verse 21 gives us the five characteristics of people to invest in, of leaders in the organization. And so I'm gonna go through them quickly. They're right here in the text, in one verse. And so if you're looking to move up, this is who you need to be. If you're sitting here and you're a coach looking for the captain of your team, who am I gonna make captain? This is the list. If you're sitting here and you're a manager uh, in an organization, you're like, who who do I need to promote? This is the list. If you're sitting here and you want to be part of a management team or you want to move up, this is the list. Here it is. First thing. Go ahead, verse 21. It says, moreover, look for able men from all the people. So we, people we're looking for are capable and able to perform the desired task. That's who we're looking for. People who have the capacity to do it, people who want to do it, people who can do it. We look for people who are capable and able. Next characteristic is this, people who are devoted to the mission of the organization. I could say so much about this. I mean, I could spend the next 20 minutes talking about this alone. Now here, we've got an organization, it's God's Family, it's the people of God, it's God's court system that Moses is responsible, and he uses the phrase men who fear God. The mission of their organization was godliness, and they were looking for people who feared him, 
Pastor Craig did an unbelievable job last weekend teaching us from another Old Testament story, didn't he? And he coined the phrase talking about the fear of God, and he used, he defined it in this way. He said the fear of God is being afraid of God's justice or judgment, but being in awe of God's love and God's mercy. And that's the fear of God. And so if you're looking for someone to tap on the shoulder in your organization, man, you want to see somebody who they, they fit, they understand the mission of the organization, and they're all for it 110%. Third thing, characteristics of people to invest in. This is who people are looking for, the leaders of your organization. They're looking for people who've proven themselves faithful and available in other areas of responsibility. Hey, you know what? You're at that job, and you're like, why do I have to do this? This is a menial task. This is like, this, I'm above this, man. This is under me. Like, I could do, you do it faithfully, and you get noticed, and you do it right, and you take the ownership. I mean, the little things are what lead to the bigger things. Do we understand that? I feel like our generations behind us, we're, we're missing the understanding that we got to prove ourselves faithful and available, and that will be rewarded. Next thing is this, people who are honest and ethical in dealing with others. So the last one, we got it from trustworthy. Did you see that? This one, we're getting, they hate a bribe. Like there's, there's an honesty and there's an integrity about them. And, and so honesty and integrity within your organization that you're not going to do the thing, cut the corners, cheat the organization. Like, like I'm not going to do that. And then how about this one? Lastly, they place such people over the people as chiefs of thousands and hundreds and fifties and of tens. And there it is. There's the organizational management structure that's in the Old Testament that's being used by companies, by governments, by all kinds of institutions today. And we're looking for people who are self-starters. Man, people who can get the job done. So here's the list. Let me throw it at you. Take a picture of this. This is the list of characteristics. And so these are the people that we want to invest in. This is the kind of person that you want to become in your 20s and in your 30s and in your 40s. And, and these things pay off. Why? I'm glad you asked. Because Jethro answers that. I love this about Jethro. Take a look with me at verse, the next verse. We'll put it on the screen. And verse 23, he gives us the why. Like, as a leader, you know, teach yourself and help yourself. Always give the people the why. He gives Moses the why. And he says, why? Because God will direct you. Hey, if you do this, what I'm telling you, then you're going to get more divine inspiration. You're going to get more divine intervention. You got to do this. God will use this system to direct you. And then he says, and you'll be able to endure. He's talking about his mental health. Are you seeing it in the text? I mean, he's like, hey, man, you, you know what? You're going crazy right now. You're, you're unable to do things. Like, like, I'm concerned with your health emotionally and physically and spiritually. And he's like, you will be able to endure. You won't burn out if you spread the load. And then lastly, he says, and all the people will go to their place in peace. Meaning it's going to benefit the whole of the organization as it's going to bring unity 
and peace amidst the whole organization. Last truth. Ready? Good stuff so far? It's been good to study God's word together. This is an unbelievable text. Lastly is this. Godly wisdom spreads when adopted and applied. Like everything that Jethro said, it it, it would have been worth nothing if we don't have the verse that I didn't read to you that I want to read to you now. Verse 24, it says, So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. I mean, so he's like, okay, I I got it. Dad, I'm doing it. And, And God blessed him. And God blessed Israel. Now, I know if we continue to read, they had some other issues. But it wasn't about the organization. It was about their attitude. And it was about how they felt. And, but, but God used it in a significant way. So what's the moral of the story? Let me summarize it with this. There's much that we could say, and there's much wisdom here. The moral of the story is, obey your father-in-law. I say that to my son-in-law, and I say, I, I'm joking, but, but, but there's a lot of wisdom here. And, and I remember, um, I'll tell you a quick story as we close. I remember when, uh, I'll invite the worship team up. I remember when Jody's dad, um, who I, we just loved Joe Shoup, Mr. Shoup. I called him Mr. Shoup. I, didn't, I wasn't on a first-name basis with him. My sons-in-laws are on a first-name basis with me. I don't really like it. Just going to go on record. I hope that one in Pennsylvania is watching. I'm Mr. Zappia. That's who I am. I'm Sir. You know, you could call me Pastor, but don't call me by my first name. And so, um, but I never would, would say that to my father-in-law. And so, um, so, so it's Thanksgiving dinner. We finished dinner, and he's uncharacteristically in the kitchen. He, he's, he's doing the dishes. And so, you know, this is a farmhouse. He's a farmer. Jody's didn't have a... Um, they didn't have a dishwasher. And so I never saw Mr. Shoup do this. And, and it, it, picture, uh, who knows who Paul Newman is? That's Jody's dad. I mean, he's a stud. And, and so I go in there, and I'm, I'm just like, you know, I'm like, Mr. Shoup, you know, because I'm respectful to my elders. I said, Mr. Shoup, can, can, can I help you? And he goes, oh, no, no. I, he goes, I, I don't want any help. And I go, well, I, I've never seen you do the dishes. And then he does one of these. He kind of goes like this. He goes, I, I want to tell you something. And so, so I get up close, and he whispers in my ear, and he goes, this is what you call the theory of the immediate showing. And I'm like, what's the theory of the immediate showing? And then he says, you do things that you don't normally do when the house is full of people so that when they leave, they think you're doing what they just saw you do. And so that is the theory of the immediate showing. And I've been practicing that my whole life because I want to respect that. Hey, I'm joking. But the truth is this, the older generation has much wisdom. God's word has much wisdom. Let's stand to our feet now, and I'm going to ask you to put your Bibles away. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. We've got one closing song, and as we stand together, each person, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads, and let's make this a moment with the Lord. And what I'm going to ask you is this, maybe you need some wisdom. And if that's you, I just want all of us to bow our heads for a moment. And the Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if we ask for wisdom, God will give it to us.
And God will do this. He will give it generously and beyond reproach. And so with your heads bowed, maybe there's a decision that you need to make this week. Maybe you're wrestling with a relationship. Maybe you're wrestling with how to respond at work. And and you need some wisdom and just cry out to God right now. I believe, I'm naive enough to believe that God can speak to every single one of us now with the precise thing that we need to hear. Do you agree? Say amen. amen. Or maybe, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you need to give some wisdom. And I know you gotta be careful, you gotta be tactful, but maybe there's someone you need to talk to at work and you need to be very gentle and very caring about how you, how you respond and how you go about it. Maybe a brother or a sister or even a mother and father, there's something you need to speak into with a relationship, a family member. And I'm just going to ask that the Lord will give you the word. Maybe it's an email that you need to write. Like some of us, we need to give some wisdom in some situations. Or maybe you're like me, you're just asking the Lord, I, I, just, I just want to grow in wisdom. And Lord, use your word to, to grow me into the person that you've created me to be, the person you want me to be, the man or woman of God. If that's you, I just want you to pray, Father, we're trusting that you will speak to us now, that you will lead us. Give wisdom to those who need it. Help us share the wisdom you've given. Help us to become the people that you want us to be. If you agree with that prayer, simply say amen. Let's worship him.